Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thanks for being with us, and I hope that you were able to listen to an earlier program with our guest, Josh Brom, who's the president of Equal Rights Institute, which is training pro-life advocates to think clearly, reason honestly, and argue persuasively, uh, because Josh laid out how to make your church a welcoming place for problem pregnancies, and pastors... Um, actions and mindsets and attitudes that can really make a difference. And I think, Josh, one of the things that is so important to state is that that there is a need for pastors to do this. And anyone who thinks that Christians are immune from having abortions is just mistaken. Yeah. I mean, so there is this recent, and we we referenced this in in the last episode, but one stat that we didn't talk about. So Karen did a a big survey of of post-abortive people and the thing that struck me the most was that 36% of women having abortions said that they went to church, not just like on Christmas and Easter, but were going to church that month that they had the abortion. And so, like, that tells me that if there are Christians that are having abortions. And in a sense, in one way, they're kind of the worst abortions, because unlike where a lot of, like, secular people having abortions, Christians know. We know about the image of God. We know what the unborn is, and yet, for other reasons, like hiding from, you know, all the kind of gossip and shame and and societal kind of effects of, you know, when Christians get pregnant, it's a much bigger deal than when an atheist gets pregnant out of wedlock. Um, They might still abort and then be feeling massive amounts of shame right away. And I'm hoping that by pastors just talking about, no, we will have a different grace-prioritized way of, of handling this issue moving forward, that then maybe women wouldn't feel like they would need to have an abortion simply because they're pregnant out of wedlock. And so that 36% is really a striking number. You're, you're right, I agree with you. And the other, But the other way to think about it is, I, I think, you know, it's hard to get a handle on this because a lot of the research has, has come from abortion rights advocates. And I, I think it's biased and thus not as trustworthy as as other sources. But <clears throat> excuse me, if if we are to believe them, it's anywhere from twenty percent of evangelical women to you know one in uh, one in three women who are professing Christians. Maybe they're not church, but anywhere from so from twenty to thirty percent of women who are Christians have had abortions. And I don't know if we can extrapolate that to the local congregation. You know, to does does that mean that twenty percent of the women in any given church have uh, experienced abortion? I'm not sure, but we know it's not zero. Yes, yeah. Whatever the number is, and I was always skeptical of the Guttmacher six out of ten that 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 you're referencing for the same reason, because there's so many people in a survey that will say. You know, if they've got to pick what religion they are, they'll pick Christian, but some or Catholic maybe. But sometimes that means they grew up Catholic, or maybe that means that they go to a Protestant church every Easter and Christmas, and that's about it. 
which doesn't tell us as much as what we would really be looking for, right? Like, this might not be a very serious uh, Christian. Uh, but the 36% step from Karenette, I felt like, gave me a lot better sense of what is, you know, actually going on with seri- more serious church-going Christians. And, the, and, and 36% doesn't sound inflated to me. That sounds about right from... You know, all of the conversations and experiences I've had in the last 20 years of of pro-life work. Well, and you reference a Silent No More gathering where women in church gave their testimonies. And the pastors that I've spoken with have said this is one of the most powerful things that can shift a culture in a church is to have women tell their story. You know, because um, the pastor hasn't experienced that. How can he tell that story? of the devastation that actually occurs. And as you say, the devastation of the compounded guilt, you know, as women who had abortions while they were Christians, they really did understand the the gospel, and yet they had that abortion, maybe even knowing it was sinful. You know, what, they, what, I, what I will hear them say is, I knew it was wrong. I knew yeah. better, but I did it anyway, so how can God forgive me? I can't presume on his grace to forgive me, because I knew it was wrong before I did it, you know. And um, when when a woman gives a testimony like that, I think it really makes it safe for other women to come forward and say, I'm in that 36% in ways that I'm not sure there are other, you know, any other ways to coax that out. Yeah, that's a really good point, because when you have a pastor featuring a post-abortive woman, there's like, there's no way to do that. I mean, I just can't imagine basically that being done in a way that's not going to be grace-oriented. And so then, you're, you're right. It sort of like helps that church to become a safe space for, for other women who've had that experience. And so whether we're talking about how we can um, handle pregnancies out of wedlock or obviously since Christians will, you know, they're old, probably will always be Christians that have abortions sometimes, at least, you know, rarely— then we need to talk about that side, too. And I think you're exactly right. Having post-abortive women there to, to talk about that uh, in a way where they are being, you know, I mean, obviously the, the pastor is agreeing. Yes, of course, of course, God forgives this, like all, you know, all of the other sins. I think that is a wonderful way to show the Church we care about women. We don't just have fetus tunnel vision. We don't only care about unborn babies, but we care about all the humans, all of the image bearers, and helping them in in whatever ways that we can. Josh Brom is our guest, and he's president of the Equal Rights Institute, training pro-life advocates to argue persuasively, to make their case, and to, um, uh, you know, enter into what it actually takes. And I I love the fact, Josh, that, you know, you know that, okay, I can tell you what to say, but you're probably going to have to have a relationship before any change is going to happen, right? It's (laughs) It's not a silver bullet, right? Yes. Yes. In fact, that's actually, I mean, it's a big part of my work. The reason, part of the reason why I started Equal Rights Institute was because I did, there were certain things in the area of kind of pro-life apologetics and and dialogue training that I just didn't see anyone else doing. And one of those was emphasizing the need for relational apologetics. You will have a much greater impact on your friends than the people that you intellectually spar with on Facebook or whatever other, you know, Twitter or, or, or whatever. And so given that, if you want to have an impact, which we all do if we're Christians, then we need to kind of recognize that we should have friends who are 
different from us. We should have pro-choice friends and, and, and non-religious friends. Uh, but that also kind of goes with pastors. If a congregant, if a pro-life congregant wants to convince their pastor to do this thing, they, they heard it on your show and they got super excited, I, after having talked to a lot of pastors and priests about it, I've found there are some ways to do that that are more effective than others. So we just want to kind of give help to both the pastors as well as the congregants who might hear this idea first. Mm. And if you missed part one, in a nutshell, what Josh is proposing is that every church would be addressing the youth group or the larger congregation with a simple message that if someone gets pregnant in our church, we're going to love that kid and love that student and be there for them, and we're not going to shame them, and we're not going to kick them out, and we're not going to make them second class, uh, because it happens, and there's a right and wrong way, an effective and a loving way, a godly and a biblical way to respond to this. And I I really like that, because, um, Josh, it, it is godly. It is what Jesus would do in the circumstances. And you you also note, uh, we're referencing from the ERI website, one thing every pastor can do to prevent abortions in their congregation. And and it's that that simple. Just make sure that people know we are not, you know, (laughs) anti-pregnancy. If you're pregnant, we'll, (laughs) we'll be gentle with whatever transgression. And then we will also be welcoming to you and your child. So you also note some practical tips that we can deploy for having conversations with your pastor on this issue. If someone is listening and wants to take it, you know, maybe they're, maybe you're a church leader, Bible study leader, you want to take this to your pastor and have this conversation. What are, what are some ideas that you have for that? Yeah, so a few of the most important things that I learned from pastors and, and, and priests about this was, one, have the conversation in private. It is a really common and understandable thing that a congregant who's like, I really want to make sure my pastor does this thing. It's like, well, you're going to see him on Sunday morning. Go up and talk to him and then share this idea. And that's just not the place because this is now in public. It's the same reason why you rarely will change any minds in a public Facebook debate, because everyone is now thinking about how they're coming across to everyone else. Like, we're all virtue signaling, even when we're not even trying to. And so that just kind of puts them in, a, in an uncomfortable place, and you don't want them to feel defensive. We want people to, you know, be as open-minded as possible to an idea. And when they're defensive, they're just not really hearing you. So schedule an appointment sometime in the week in, in his office uh, or, you know, a Zoom call or whatever, and, and have that, that conversation in, in, in private is one of the most important things. And, and I think one of the other most important things I learned was the importance to come to the meeting in humility. So pro-lifers, unfortunately, have a bit of a reputation with pastors uh, of being particularly zealous sometimes. There's usually, it's like pastors will kind of reference that one pro-lifer, you know, (laughs) in his congregation who's coming up to him like once a month or something. I want you to preach about abortion. I want you to go to the March for Life. I want you to do the life chain. We need to do the baby bottle campaign for the local pregnancy center. And by the way, if you are not preaching about this, and during the sermon, showing graphic images of babies and abortions, then you are not truly pro-life. Those people exist, and the pastor kind of then assumes maybe all pro-lifers are kind of like that. And we need to understand, just like I had to learn the hard way, that pastors are not, just because they're not talking about this, it's not because they're necessarily ignorant, they're not necessarily cowards, they're not necessarily apathetic, maybe there's this other thing going on, where they're wanting to just try to figure out how to talk about this in a way that it's not going to 
harm the the post-abortive people in the car in the congregation. We need to just try to get into their shoes. Understand that pastors and priests are wearing so many hats. They're wearing twenty or thirty hats. Almost every church is understaffed, and so the pastor is doing so many things besides merely sermon prep. Um, and they're doing their best, and they're probably pro-life. And so we need to come to them in humility and understand that we are maybe the ninth person asking them to do something mm. this week. We uh, <laughs> just still ask them. I think this is literally. I think if if, if we got you know churches all across the country doing this, we would have fewer Christian abortions. It's really important. But again, if you want to convince the pastor to do the thing you want him to do then coming in in a spirit of humility and openness and wanting to hear about, you know, what are the concerns that they might have about this and, and talking about those things is going to be really important. You mean he probably won't read the six favorite books I pulled down from my pro-life bookshelf to bring to that meeting? He probably won't. He probably won't. <laughs> if we've talked about, I've talked about maybe writing a book about this idea, but it's like, if I do, it needs to be a short a book. really short. I'm a pastor. And that he could read in like an afternoon. <laughs> and yeah it's, yeah, it's exactly that problem, Kim. You're exactly right. Okay, so uh, I, I like the idea also of checking, hey, is there already a policy in place in the church for dealing with this uh, issue? Yeah, you know, because sometimes we don't know. Like there's a lot of times I think there's an assumption that because it's the same assumption that oftentimes women who are getting pregnant out of wedlock are making. Because we don't see this issue dealt with in the church, where we're not seeing, you know, a conversation about, hey, Monique is pregnant, and, you know, and here's how we're thinking about that, and we're going to celebrate the life in a room. Because we're dealing with it in private, usually, people just don't know. So for all they know, their church might be awesome at handling this, at least in private, but they're just not talking about it in public. And so, again, instead of making assumptions, let's just ask, you know, what, what are we currently doing about this when, when this issue comes up and, and hearing what they have to say? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, as a result of one of those conversations, had a pastor say to me, well, we offer abortion recovery, but uh, we, don't, we don't advertise it anywhere. We don't promote it anywhere. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, how, do you, how do people <laughs> know that you do it? And he said, oh, word of mouth. And I was like, right. How often do you have groups then? Not very often. Like, no, because if I'm trapped in... who's asking? Right. If If you're (laughs) post-supportive, who's going to the pastor and saying, do you have specific resources for me? Like, of course it's not happening. They need to hear. They need to hear their shepherds say, by the way, and uh, and often, often enough that even if you miss some Sundays, you're going to find out, we have resources for you. If you are in this situation, we love you. We know that you are probably hurting, and we want to give you special help for, for you know, finding the forgiveness of, of Christ in this situation. Yes, it's so important. Well, so we're laughing, and I don't mean to really, you know, make fun of it, but you just, if you have an approach, you may want to think about, is it really the most effective approach? <laughs> okay, so... Uh, let's talk about this tip that has to do with, you know, uh, the mind of the pregnant teen and, you know, their imaginations of what's going to happen and how that can drive, that fear can drive 
things that are, you know, just based on the fear. They're not even based in reality as to how people will react and respond to the pregnancy. Yeah, like I, I think if there's anything truly original about this idea, it's this idea that there's an epistemological problem, which is a fancy big philosopher word for meaning there's a problem with the knowledge that people have. People don't necessarily know how their church is going to handle it. And because probably all of us have heard stories from the past of churches handling it horribly, then it's just natural to assume, well, if you haven't seen your church handle it, then maybe your church would be on that list of churches that handle it in a really not helpful way. And so specifically in this idea, if the congregant is going to their pastor, we don't want to come assuming that the pastor would handle it really terribly. We, we, we'd rather say, look, I'm sure we would handle this pretty well. The important thing here is figuring out a way to make sure that everyone knows that we would handle it well and that they know it before she gets pregnant. It's, we have to get proactive and not reactive on this, uh, on this thing. And this is the other kind of downside of this, of this idea is, there are so many pro-life things that a church can do that it shouldn't be the pastor. It should be some member of the congregation and maybe leading a small pro-life group because the pastor has enough on his plate. But this specific thing, this announcement, needs to come from the shepherd. Like, even if I was speaking at a church and giving the pro-life, like, the sermon as, like, a guest speaker, I still wouldn't do this announcement on behalf of the pastor. I'd be like, no, no, no. You need to come up and do this part yourself. They need to know this is coming from you. And same thing with the, the youth pastor. And so, yes, make sure the pastor knows you're not doing this because you're assuming he's horrible. You're coming just knowing that people might not know the information that would be good for them to know before there is an issue. Sure. And uh, I referenced um, Silent No More, uh, as you did in your article. And there are other organizations like Embrace Grace. You know, some of these organizations yep. have already figured out the heavy lifting and so I'll put some links in the podcast notes on this so that you can take advantage of the hard work that's already been done to sort of plow the ground and plant some seeds. One of the things that you note is real, uh, a, a great practical tip everyone can do is telling a story. And you mentioned Anna's story, if we have time for you to share a little bit of that. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So I love this story. So after I had this idea... And I don't even know if I should say it that way, but maybe God gave me the idea. I don't know exactly how it works. If God has ever given me an idea, it's this one, because I cannot track how I came up with it. It literally just kind of came out in an ad lib during a Q&A at a, at a homeschool conference. But my, So after I had the idea and I was working on the article, I reached out to one of my favorite pregnancy centers. And I speak for pregnancy centers you know, all the time, but there's this one in Fresno that is just fantastic and one of the best I've ever been at. And, and so I'm, 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 I'm friends with some of their staff. And Anna was the person who kind of trains all of the counselors. And see, that's not, that's not her real name. Um, or actually, I came up with a No, I'm sorry. Shannon is the staff member, and Anna is the fake name we gave for the person we're going to tell the story about. So Shannon tells me this story, because I was asking her, do you think this would make a difference? Do you think this idea would actually, like, help. And so she told me this story. She told me about a friend of hers that we call Anna in the article who she actually worked at a church. She became pregnant out of wedlock. She was terrified of what would happen if people eventually, you know, found out that she was pregnant. And at some point they will find out. Um, and so she, she says she was basically emotionally 
already planning on having an abortion. She was planning on going to the Planned Parenthood in, in, in the downtown uh, Fresno area. And I said, okay, like any philosopher likes to do, let's do a thought experiment. Let's, let's imagine a parallel universe where everything is exactly the same, except the only difference is at Anna's church, her pastor has been doing this thing. Let's say for the last couple of years, they've made it part of the culture of the church that here is how we will handle this situation if, uh, if a pregnancy out of wedlock happens. I said, do you think that would have had it made a change for Anna? And Shannon said, yes, I think that would have been enough for Anna to not feel like she needed to go have an abortion. Um, and so I think oftentimes telling a story like that, that's a true story, um, can help a pastor to kind of connect those dots and see it's not just kind of a logical argument we're making. We're like, we have stuff to back this up. I have a lot of pastors um, who have, you know, heard this idea like, oh, this would be wonderful. I totally want to do that. I just hadn't thought about doing it before. And, and so, yes, tell stories to help people understand the impact that they can make in the real lives in their congregation. Josh, I love this next tip, which is, you know, instead of pastors shying away, not wanting to be political or not wanting to hurt, you can persuade and encourage your pastor that this is a chance for him to be loving to his flock. Yeah, so there's this tricky thing where sometimes people talk about, like, is abortion a moral issue or a political issue? And it's kind of like, well, it's kind of both. It is a moral issue, obviously, but it's also an issue that gets talked about in Every election year, a lot is going to be part of the vice presidential debate. Sometimes, like, I understand why pastors would consider it a a political issue and be worried about seeming political. And there are going to be those pastors that just maybe even too often hide from those issues. And I kind of wanted to give a tip for the congregants who maybe have one of those pastors who uh, is just a little bit too worried about people judging him or leaving the church because they got mad because they're pro-choice or something. And I just want to say, like, look, I'm not asking you to do a pro-life sermon. Like, that would be the last of maybe 10 things I would ask a pastor to do after a lot of, like, incremental kind of more and more pro-life steps. But this is one of the first things that I would ask him to do because it's such a small ask. All I'm asking you to do is have a Jesus moment. Like, we're all going to act like Jesus. You know, my pastor is going to treat women like Jesus in a two-minute announcement uh, before the sermon. So it's a really, really small ask, and, and why it's one of the first things I recommend people to ask their pastor to do. It's like, look, make sure that there are post-abortion resources, at least brochures, and like in, in, in the foyer, uh, you know, but make sure that people know where to find those things, make sure that they know about the local pregnancy center, and then, like, the next thing would be ask the pastor if you would be willing to say this short thing. And we've even got a scripted version if they don't want to write it themselves. I've, I've got a nicely written version in the article on the website. Uh, but ask them to do this thing, because even if you don't want to seem political, this announcement does not seem political. This announcement just says we are going to love the women in this church, just the way that Jesus loved the woman who was caught in adultery, just like he treated the woman at the well, those are the stories, the parallels that we should be looking for, for how we should be handling this Mm. issue in our church. Mm. I used to, I've done many times a a pregnancy center fundraising keynote that is titled, you know, in a pro-choice world, we are the choice. The church is the choice. You know, Mm. 
And because you're not going to hear that if you go to get the pregnancy test from an abortion provider and so on, you're not going to get the idea that you can do this. We'll help you. You know, and so the church putting that message forward is really radical in today's world and definitely yeah. Yeah. the the loving alternative to give to to women and couples. And then so we've got just 2 minutes for our final tip which is hey, if we're going to do a baby shower, I'll help with that. Yes. Yeah. So again, a pastors have a very full plate. And so my goal would be make this as easy and kind of frictionless as possible for the pastor by saying, I, I will help in any ways that you want me to help. I, I don't want to just like be that person who just says, hey, you should do this, and you should, by the way, do the 40 other things that I'm is wanting you to do. I will do everything that I can to support. I will, I will help, you know, organize the baby shower. I will, I will you know, try to, you know, I'll try to connect her with the pregnancy center whatever. It's just that probably the pastor needs to be the one actually making the announcement. So if we can come alongside in an attitude of, it's not just you, I want to help in as many ways as I can. Uh, I, I know personally from, from one of my former pastors that that, would, that that makes a huge difference. Sure. The pastors who have the congregation coming up to them asking them to do something. Roll up the sleeves. Josh, we're out of time, but I really appreciate uh, you getting our, our thoughts sparked today. And I hope people will follow up by visiting your website at Equal Rights Institute, which we'll link, of course, at Cradle My Heart Radio. Josh Brom, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. This has been part of a two-part program, and I encourage you to look for part one at cradlemyheart.org as well. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.